Oh, what a great time of worship together this morning. And uh, so just a free one. So when Bronwyn came to share that, I, just, I was just struck this morning by, before Bronwyn shared, just of the incredible challenges that so many of us have been facing, are facing, and will continue to face. And really struck by the, uh, just the faithfulness of God in our lives as we go through these really difficult seasons. And, you know, we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus said that that's what's going to happen. We're going to have difficulties. And um, Bronwyn mentioned about, you know, being in a desert. Well, folks, let's get on a secret. We live in a desert. It's not, it's not, we, we don't have desert seasons. We live in a desert. That's exactly where we live. That's a message for another day. But for reference, Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17, Ephesians chapter 3, you can, you can look for it yourself, but I feel prompted maybe to speak on that at some point in the future. But at the end of the day, um, just this, uh, this picture that Bronwyn brought this morning that represents so many of our lives, I was struck by the words of Psalm uh, 27. So this is a freebie. This, I'm not started yet. So <laughs> maybe that's, oh, geez, we just get going. Um, but uh, among other things in Psalm 27, which is amazing, um, it starts out with words that we're familiar with, uh, maybe some of us are familiar with. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. But this is the thing. In verse 5, it says, For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary, and he will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies." Who surround me. He holds us higher than our enemies so that we're looking down on them. Jesus, in his train of victory, displayed the enemies behind him as a Roman army would come through the city in a, in a, in a parade of victory with their captives behind them and the people would mock the captives because they were the enemy. And Jesus has done that for us. That's what the scriptures say. But he places us higher than our enemies and they cannot harm us. So Lord Jesus, I just want to pray right now for all of those in this room who are experiencing challenges. And if that's you this morning, I just want you to know that Jesus has placed you higher, high on a rock. He's the rock. He has placed you in himself and hidden you in himself higher. And so, Lord Jesus, would you just make that truth known to every person in this room? That you have placed us higher. That you have 
been our refuge and will continue to be our refuge and we will delight in you in your perfection and we meditate in your temple we thank you lord jesus that you have hidden us and you placed us out of reach lord we pray that right now in the name of jesus all right now we can go home now All right, well, this morning, folks, um, I just felt compelled over the last couple of weeks. This uh, psalm has been coming back to me over and over again. Every time I turn around, it seems that the first lines of Psalm 24 keep echoing in my heart. And uh, I just felt like I said to Joe last week, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I need to speak on Psalm 24 and somehow connect this. And I just felt that I needed to connect it with the New Testament and with the book, and with the first chapter of Colossians and a few verses there. And I don't know how this is going to go, but I just feel like the Lord wants to solidify some things for us this morning and to reemphasize some things in our lives. And so I've, you put titles on messages. If you're keeping score, this is the first line of Psalm 24. The Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so I'm going to, uh, it's hard to read here, but you'll get the picture. But I, I just felt compelled this morning as well when we were worshiping. I, I remember working in the country of Jordan um, in 2001 in the summer. I traveled to Jordan and was working there for the Ministry of Education. And I remember there were about 400 of us in this theater and about 25 of us were from Canada. The rest were all Jordanian educators. And uh, our job was to go there and teach in a university uh, for a month on integrating technology with education. And so we were sitting in there, everybody was talking, you know, and it was kind of like, you know, there was a buzz in the room because everybody was, you know, hey, you're from Canada. And we were interspersed around the room. And all of a sudden, like, the, 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 we, knew at, we knew that the country's minister of education was coming uh, to speak to us, but we didn't know when he was going to arrive. So we were just in a buzz. It would be like a theater at a university. It was at a university. And the next thing you know, the door opens up, and in comes, in comes the nation's minister of education. And when the door opened up, as soon as he took one foot in the room, we were shocked, we Canadians, because we're very you know, we're just very blasé about everything. Um, all of a sudden, every Jordanian person in that room, about 375 of them, as soon as one foot hit the door, they all stood to attention and were silent. And I'm like, whoa, that's authority, right? And so we stood. What else are you going to do? We were a little late to the party, but we stood. But this morning, I just felt like Jesus is with us here this morning, and he's in the room, but I just thought it might be good for us to stand for the reading of God's word this morning, because he's here. We don't know, we're not, don't, don't get freaked out, we're not going all liturgical on you yet. If you're able, so I'm going to read Psalm 24, and it's too small on the screen, but you'll get the drift. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, 
the world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the King of glory enter. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the King of glory enter. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies. He is the King of glory. We thank God for his word. You may be seated. And this morning, I even have an introduction. Everything, everything, everything. God created everything. He rules over the earth. He owns the earth and everything in it. Everything, everything. He's created an orderly world. He owns it all. He's gracious, but he owns it all. Every nation today. You see, John Eldridge says that the story of God is still the story of the world. The story of God, as we see in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, his story of redemption, that's still the story of the world. I always say, don't hear what I'm not saying, but when I say the story of Ukraine, that's not the story of the world. The story of the reset we're in right now and the recession that we're in right now and the inflationary trends right now, that's not the story of the world. The social climate uh, fluctuations that are happening in our world, the great upheavals that are taking place right now, that's not the story of the world. God's story is the story of the world. The Lord owns it all. He rules over the entire world, and he, he doesn't just own, you got to personalize this, he just doesn't own everything, all nations and peoples, he owns you. Whether you acknowledge him as God or not, he owns you. He is the ruler of every person, every bank account, every pattern of life, your worldview, he owns it all. He has authority over you. And he's done it orderly. He's intentional about his ownership, too. He's intentional. He's intentional in his design in that the world that he created is habitable. He just didn't, he just didn't create for the sake of creating. He did it with intention and so that it's habitable. And so when you look around, it's unique. And it's unique in that you can see the evidence of his design everywhere you go. 
I had a uh, conversation last weekend with a friend while we were camping, good friend of mine, uh, professor at UNB, and he's also a believer, and we were just talking about the unique intentional design that's evident in all of creation. Like, you need to look at it. You need to see that there's design. So if you, this afternoon, take a leaf off of a tree and you look at it closely. We don't look at things closely enough, but if you look at it, the evidence of design is right there. If you look at the leaf on the tree and the veins in the leaf and the way that it's colored, I mean, it's amazing. We've all heard the snowflake analogy. It's true. I'm a bird watcher, full disclosure. Some of you know that. I know I'm a geek, but I was with someone just recently and my brother, in fact, and his wife and a friend a couple weeks ago, and we were at their camp, and I was taking photographs of birds, and I showed them the pictures, and he said, oh my goodness, the, those birds live around here? Like, I've never seen those birds. I said, yeah, you've heard them, but you've not seen them because you're not looking for them. So now, they're on this quest, oh, I gotta look. I showed them these pictures. You mean we have these bright yellow throated warblers? We have these? Yes. Like there's one right there. And they had never seen it before. You see, God is intentional in his design. And not just unique in the things that I'm talking about now, but unique in the sense that he created human life. And you ask God, like, why did he create humans at all? Why would he want to do that? Because he wants to share life and love and community with beings created in his image. That's what he wants to do. And so, just ignore my bullets. I, I find sometimes these things get in the way. I'm trying, but anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to keep going. But he wants to be with us. Can you imagine the God that flung the stars into space with a finger? He wants to be with you, the likes of you and me. And so, like, if you believe in Jesus and you believe that God, all these things, you're tracking right along, like, don't, don't tune out. Because all this applies to us, even if we've known Jesus for, in my, like, I can't believe it, like, this year will be 20, uh, 82, 40 years this summer. It still amazes me. If you don't know this God that I'm talking about, I'm telling you the truth. And somehow we have to reconcile the fact that, that God owns it all and has created it with intention and created it to have a relationship with you, His creation. He created it all and is contained in it. And, he, you know, it stands to reason that he rules it. He doesn't just own it, but he rules over it. And whether you line up with that or not doesn't change the fact that he rules. He rules and he reigns. We tend to, in our world today, not acknowledge God, and we deify nature, don't we? We deify the created things. 
But these things only have their glory because they're derived from the glorious creator. God is glorious, and anything he creates will be a reflection of that glory, but they're not to be worshipped. He's the one, I mean, you're going to worship the creator of it, not the things that he created. You're going to acknowledge them, you're going to acknowledge they're glorious, but they're not the source. It's a realm with its own splendor, but it's nonetheless a created one. And I love this quote by this Old Testament theologian I ran across this week while I was preparing this. He says this, the world is called into being by the creative word with complete effortlessness. Let me read that again. So this guy, Ger uh, Gerhard von Rod says, the world is called into being by the creative word with complete effortlessness. There's no problem for our Father. No problem. Effortless. He created everything. Everything. And so you say, okay, if you read Genesis, and you see the creation story, which, by the way, is not a scientific book. We're talking about an account. He creates effortlessly, and it says what? And God said. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God over the surface, was over the surface of the water. God said, that term, God said, appears eight times in that short bit of Scripture. Eight times. So it's over and over again. How did he create? He spoke it into existence effortlessly, without any problems. We discover, though, that the New Testament gives us a window into the creation story because it's one thing to say that God said it and he did it effortlessly. It's another thing to understand, well, just who was doing the speaking. Because if you read the story, God is present, the Father is present, the Spirit is present, but it's really subtle, and you can miss it if you're not looking for it, but in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we understand exactly what is happening. We discover that the New Testament gives us a view into things. Hopefully this is going to work. So who did the speaking? Jesus was the speaker. He was present and active. You say, whoa, how, do, how does that work? How is Jesus present in the creation? He's referred to in the scriptures as the living word. Remember, God spoke, let there be light. God said, let there be light. He's the living word. And the evidence of the fact that he is the living word is found in these three passages of scripture, and there's others, but these are just three that I'll focus on real quick. And I'll just show them to you, but prove that Jesus is the one who's doing the speaking. It's his word that actually creates. 
John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. And isn't it interesting when you read John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, written thousands of years after the fact, here's what John says. He says, doesn't this sound like Genesis? It starts out, in the beginning, the Word already existed. Capital W. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him, Jesus. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So Jesus, John is saying, Jesus is the creative force for everything that we see, everything that we feel, everything that we live, he's the one that spoke it into existence. John chapter 1 verse one, uh, 14 says, so the word, just in case, you know, John's like, well, just in case you don't get it, I'll just tell you flat out. So the word became human and made his home among us, made his dwelling among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Who's the Son? It's Jesus. Who was made flesh? Jesus. Who was the one who was the visible image of God? Jesus. He created. And Colossians 1.15 says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So you want to know what God looks like? Look to Jesus. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. And I love this one. He holds all creation together. That's our Jesus. So not only is the earth the Lord's and everything in it, it was created with intention. For relationship did he create humans. He spoke it into existence through the Son. But it's through Jesus that it all holds together anyway. He holds it together. Without Jesus, it all spirals out of control. And so therefore, we can say that the word, Jesus, is also the one who unifies because we're created for eternity. You see, he's created us to be unified with him eternally. So if, if you're here this morning and you're questioning and you're wondering like, I, I just don't know about God, but I'm getting the Jesus thing. Stay with me. Jesus is our touch point for understanding how God works. So I don't know if you know this or not, but eternity sometimes is talked about, and we, when we think about eternal life, what do we think about? Somebody. We think about eternal life. I'm going to have eternal life because I know the Father and the Son and the Spirit. What, what do we think of when we think of eternity? Heaven, the future, right? Actually, that's not what eternity means. 
we are created with a desire for eternity, and the definition of eternity is not the future, not relegating just to the future, but it's timeless, or the state of which of that which is held to have neither beginning nor end. In other words, it doesn't just talk about the future, it talks about everything. It talks about the past, it talks about the present, it talks about the future. It's all-encompassing eternity. And so we're created for eternity. You see, the triune relationship, or the relationship between the Trinity, is eternal. It's an eternal relationship. Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect union. And as a result, we're created with a longing for eternity. We're created with that. There's something in me, there's something in you that longs for something bigger than ourselves. Do you understand that? Every time I get up out of bed in the morning, I'm longing for something bigger than myself. Father, Son, and Spirit are in perfect union, but we're created with that longing, and I love this scripture. This scripture, you know, some people say, well, my life verse or my favorite verse. This is one of my thousand favorite verses in scripture. It's, Ecclesi- it's found in Ecclesiastes in the third chapter, and it says this. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has, get this, get this, this is you and this is me. He has planted eternity in the human heart. He's planted eternity in your heart. He's planted the desire for something bigger than yourself in your heart. And so if you're wondering if there's something missing sometimes, there just might be. If you are unacquainted with God and with Jesus, you have a desire for something bigger than yourself. It's put there by God. God has put that yearning, that some people have referred to it as the God-shaped puzzle piece in your heart. And in our longing for eternity, we're living with that longing and it's been placed there by the Father and He is the only one that can satisfy that. And we're not just looking for eternity, that's part of it. We're also, because the Trinity is eternal, the Trinity exists in a perfect union, we also, as a result of living with an eternal desire, we also have the desire for union with God. We have a desire for union with Him. We have a desire that only one thing can satisfy, and that is a union for His presence in our life. We sang about it all all morning. We long for Jesus. He is the one who preserves the union. He's the one who has put that desire for you, for you to come into relationship, not only just relationship, but with union with him. It's not just, hi, how are you? It's perfect union with him so that you know the heartbeat of Jesus. This morning while we worshiped, we got a sense of the heartbeat of Jesus 
for us this morning. And we respond to him and we worship him. Colossians 1.17 says this, that he holds it all together, like I said before. The longing is not just for eternal life, but it's for the union with him. The very nature of salvation, you know, we're, we're too narrow in our definition of salvation. You know, salvation is I'm saved and traditional evangelical thought, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. But actually, the root word of salvation there's, there's a Greek word called sozo, and that means healing. And so it's a present continuous. When we become saved, we experience salvation. We start to experience eternal union with Jesus, and he begins to heal us. He begins to heal our lives, and he prepares us for, yes, life eternally in the future, but he's repairing and he goes back and he repairs those things that have been damaged in our lives from our past. And so he is all about complete salvation. Being connected with Jesus in our inmost being. It's amazing. So not only does Jesus want to, not only is he the unifier, he's also the reconciler. If I can get this to go. There we go. Jesus is the one who reconciles. In Psalm 24, it illustrates the fact that we have a problem. Like, the first couple of verses are great. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But then we get in the middle section of that psalm, it says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. Like, folks, we got a problem. Who can do that? Who are we to stand before God? And so it goes back to the garden. It goes back to the Garden of Eden and of course, the story of the lie. And our parents, Adam and Eve, chose to believe the lie. And we in turn, because we're their parents and inherited everything that they said and did, we have chosen to believe the lie as well. Did God really say? God isn't good. question. I know this is true for me. In the last week, has anybody heard in their mind, did God really say? In the last week, did anybody hear, God isn't good. He's not for you. He didn't come through. He's not going to come through. Look at your life. It sucks. Where's God? There's nothing new under the sun, folks. But we as a human race, we fell into captivity and we entered into conflict with God ever since. Our parents were banished from God's presence in the garden and what it did, they were banished, they couldn't return, 
but it put into place the continuing story of God where he wanted to bring us back into union with himself. You see, we have a longing for Eden. We have a longing for that union with God that they had, and yet here we are stuck. We're banished from his presence. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in his presence? Gets worse. So we're stuck in this temporal pursuit for the things that only the Father can give. We're stuck in that. We are pursuing things that don't give life. I could go on and I could define them, but do the math. Here's what Romans chapter 1 says. I'll read just a bit of it. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky, though everything God made, through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his power, divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks, and they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds were dark and confused. Folks, we live in a world that's dark and confused. The human race is not doing very well. Look around, it's there, it's true. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols. In other words, they worshiped things that he created. Talks here about people and birds, well, I get the bird thing, people and birds and animals and reptiles. But we can name all kinds of different idols that we can have in our lives, right? So clearly, we're in conflict with our Creator, and we need peace. We need peace because we're guilty of seeking in temporary things what only the Father can give us, right? And so, again, this pursuit after the idol, this pursuit after things that don't give life, that's just another sign of our constant yearning for eternity in union. It's actually kind of a good thing in a way. It tells you that what God is saying in his word is true. I don't recommend you go do that to figure it out, to find out, but it's true. We're clearly in conflict. You see, folks, the good news is that God in all his fullness was pleased to live in, in Christ and through him, God reconciling, reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. The good news is, is that Jesus, the living word, the one who was present at creation, the one who walked this earth, who in flesh didn't sin, didn't err, and went to the cross for you and for me so that we could be reestablished in union with God, that's the good news. And that's available to you today. That's available you to, to you today. I mean, we sang that song this morning. I, put, I, I actually typed the words in. You redefine my future. That's what Jesus does. He redefines our future. We come in line with the fact that he has rescued us from sin. He has rescued us from all of those things. He's made a way for us, and he's calling us to himself. 
He's our Savior. Psalm 24, 3, who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Jesus already did it, folks. He's the one. He's the one who stands in the holy place. And because he did it, and when we choose to receive him in our lives, he puts out his Holy Spirit to doggedly, I'm telling you, if you're running from God, he will chase you like a hound of heaven that he is, not with a baseball bat, with his great love. And he says, I'm going to chase you, and I'm going to pursue you, and I'm going to ask uh, my Holy Spirit to bring you to my son because that's what he does and he's going to give you frustration he's going to give you dissatisfaction with all of those temporal things and finally 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 we come to the place where we say I'm not going to run anymore because he climbed the mountain for me doesn't matter how old you are you could be five you could be 75 this applies to you. It applies to me. His pure heart, his clean hands, not mine. It's his. The result of that, I get to rest, you see, because the great exchange takes place on the cross. He takes upon himself my sin, my shame, all the things, like all the garbage. He takes it upon himself, and the Bible says that actually Jesus became sin for us. He actually became sin. And the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus that we should have got. And what do we get in return? We get rest. I can rest. I get mercy. I get grace. I get peace. I get refuge. I get all those things that we sang about this morning. All the benefits of knowing him and being in union with him eternally, that is imparted to me. So that I become resilient in his spirit. His spirit comes to live in my life when I receive him into my life. His Holy Spirit gives you the ability to be resilient. He's the resilient Father. And He imparts resilience on you. You get to rest. You get to receive. You are brought into union with the Father. He's made a way for us, and He's calling me, and He's calling you to Himself. Now He said, don't discount yourself if you already know Jesus. Because these words apply to us every day, all day, 24-7. You see, Jesus said this. And sometimes as believers, we get off track. But he said this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Question, anybody here weary and carrying heavy burdens? Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden I give you is light. John 15 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I, or those who remain in me, and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. You see, we're in union with Jesus. We receive him. He comes into our life, changes us. The train of his robe fills the temple. Guess what, folks? Paul says quite clearly that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, individual walking around dwelling containers of the presence of God. And when we come together, yes, there's a greater sense of that corporately, but you contain God in you. You're the container, the dwelling place of his presence. And he gives you rest. That's available to you today. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. So my question is, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? If you are saying this morning, I, I came into this room and I, I don't know Jesus, he wants to change your life and he wants to give you and alter your destiny. He wants to give you a new destiny. He wants to change everything. He can do that in a moment. And all we need to do is to just pray an honest prayer and say, Jesus, I don't know a whole lot. I don't know anything about the Bible, the Word, nothing. But all I know is I have an emptiness in my life. Would you come and change my life? Guess what? He'll do that this morning. And maybe you know him this morning. I'll ask the worship team to come. Maybe you know him this morning, but you're saying, you know what? I'm weary. I'm tired. Life is just out of control. Stuff is happening. I got pharaohs all over the place, giants in the land, so to speak. I want to be able to know that I am placed on the rock above my enemies. If that's you this morning, Jesus is speaking, and he wants to restore your life, refresh your life. He wants to fill you anew with the Holy Spirit. He wants to give you a fresh sense of joy and purpose and meaning and life. He wants to do that this morning. So when we stand... Jesus is here. Jesus is here. He's with us this morning. Just as the worship team begins to play, I just want to pray for us and for you, and maybe this morning you answer one of those bells this morning. There's hope for you. There's life for you. See, it's about being with him. It's about knowing him. It's about being refreshed in his presence. That's available to you every day, 24-7. We cease from our striving. So we just raise my hand. It doesn't matter what you do, but I'm going to do that because everything I just preached applies to me. Right? I need him every day. I need my relationship with Jesus vibrant every day. So Lord Jesus, I just lift up my hands and I, I, I ask God, would you come right now and would you speak to every person in this room? Would you speak to every person in this room and would you gently come because you are gentle and you're life-giving, would you come right now and would you just give everybody a sense of your nearness and your goodness? Just in this private moment, if you have never given your life fully to Jesus, you know, as I've been holding back on things and I've never, you know what, I, I've been kind of playing a little bit of games and stuff, but you know what, Jesus is the living word and, and he wants to have relationship with you. If that's you this morning, I, I just urge you, like, so I, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but if that's you this morning, I'd love to pray for you. If you want to stick up your hand, like, Jesus wants to restore your hope. Maybe you've been going through some really challenging things. He wants to restore life to you this morning. He wants to bring you into his presence. So if that's you, just stick your hand up real quick, and I'll just pray for you. We're not going to embarrass anybody. Jesus, this morning we come to you humbly and we say, Lord Jesus, would you come and would you fill my life with your presence? 
Would you come and take all the junk and would you replace it with grace this morning? Lord, we believe that you took all of our shame, all of our sin on the cross. And Father, we choose to believe that this morning. And would you come right now and fill me with your Holy Spirit again? Would you save my life? Would you continue to heal me, oh God? Would you do what only you can do? Holy Spirit, come. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit to come. If you've got your hands up, many do. Just ask the Holy Spirit to come and to refresh you and restore you. He wants to place you on a rock above your enemies. He wants to give you peace and joy. Lord, would you do that this morning? Many are responding this morning. We're not going to call people out to pray. We're just going to receive. And Angela, you guys are going to lead us in a song. Once you do that now, just go ahead and uh, let's just receive from Jesus this morning. He's beautiful.